Let's pray, and then we're going to get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, uh, what an honor it is to be here this morning to worship and to just lift up praises to you, but to get into your Word and allow your voice to speak to us. Uh, thank you for your son. Thank you for the men and the women who sacrificed for this country, but ultimately we thank you for Jesus Christ who sacrificed his life for us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. If you haven't been with us these last few weeks, uh, we've been in this series called The Wilderness, and basically we're looking at Bible men and women that in their wilderness experience teach us so much. Last week we talked about uh, depression and what Elijah went through and uh, his wilderness experience. Today we're going to talk about another wilderness experience, and that is John the Baptist. So uh, I love John the Baptist. He is ultimately one of my favorite characters, and we're going to talk about him. I'm going to share with you some names. And then I want you to tell me what these names have in common. Frank Sinatra, Johnny Cash, Bruce Springsteen, Michael Jackson, Adele, Elvis Presley. What do they have in common? They're all singers. Anything else? My play Actually, that is, I do have a lot of my playlists. Yeah. But other than that, any, anybody else? Those are pretty obvious. Uh, wealthy. They all have a lot of money. All of those... Singers have a very unique voice. Like if you hear it, you know that's Elvis. If you hear it, you know that's Adele, okay? Now, there are uh, a lot of critics out there, uh, but a lot of critics say that the greatest voice, the most distinctive voice is the voice that you're going to hear over the next few seconds, okay? Everybody good with that? So I want you to hear who a lot of critics say have the greatest voice. No, I'm just sorry. Okay. No. How many of you thought coming to church, I bet they're going to play Natural Woman today, by the way. I, 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 I got goosebumps again. I get goosebumps when I hear Aretha Franklin sing. I just think her voice is, is amazing. And if you can make a president cry, that's pretty good stuff. Now, here's what one critic said from the magazine Axis about Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin is a gift from God. The sheer power of Franklin's voice is overwhelming. It's impossible to watch her without being shocked by her effortlessness of her singing. She simply opens her mouth like a normal human and glory comes pouring out. Isn't that good? When I think of John the Baptist, that's what I think about his voice. He opens his mouth and God's glory just comes pouring out. Think of the voices in your life that have had a tremendous impact. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at this voice that came out of the wilderness that changed the world. If some of you like to take notes on your bulletins, uh, here's the first point if you want to write this down, and that is simply uh, John the Baptist had the voice of truth. Follow with me in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 
excuse me, verses 3 through 5, who paved the way for the role of John the Baptist. There is a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground will be made level, and the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John the Baptist, a voice of truth. Now, when you hear John the Baptist, what do you think of? Well, these are the trademarks. This is what we know. He was set aside. Uh, we know that he was born probably about six months before Jesus was born. His entire mission was to prepare the way for Jesus. So from a very young age, I really truly believe he knew what his mission was. It's estimated somewhere in his teenage years that he actually moved out into the wilderness. And his strategy was to share this amazing amazing message of the Messiah is coming, and he didn't go town to town. They came to him in the wilderness. But what's sad is what most people know about John the Baptist is what he wore. Camel hair, a leather belt, he ate wild honey and locusts. That's what most people know about John the Baptist. Now, when I read that, camel hair, a leather belt, eats wild locusts, I know what you're thinking. Kentucky. Now, I know that, but it's beyond that, okay? Now, if we got any folks from Kentucky, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not really, it's the fourth. Anyway, but he's the voice of truth. I mean, if there's anything we know about John the Baptist, Acts 13, 24 said, before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. Repentance. What does that mean, repentance? Well, let me tell you what it isn't. Every parent and every grandparent, my guess is you've had this conversation with your kids or your grandkids, or you've experienced it as a child. Um, I grew up, uh, youngest of seven, uh, my mother was from Tennessee, grew up during the Depression, and so I called it a Tennessee switching. Now, I, I know it's against the law to switch today. It wasn't against the law in the 70s, and I knew when I was in trouble, and I would, be, I would plead with my mom, because she would make me, I'd have to pick the switch. Has anybody ever been switched? Good. We've all been abused. It's all great. So anyway, uh, I would start crying, and I would always fess up early. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And my mom would say, Here's what, and every parent has been this. Are you sorry because you're sorry? Are you sorry because, finish it, you got caught. Guess what? It doesn't change as an adult. It doesn't. Think of how many times that's the deal with God. It's like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And don't you think God's going, are you really sorry? Are you just sorry because now you're experiencing the consequences of what you've done? And see, there's a huge difference. Repentance is you change your heart, and then what? You change your action. And so here's John saying, change your heart. Get back in touch with God. Get right with God. Why? Because as you draw closer to God, you're preparing your heart for God's Son. I love his message of repentance. Can I tell you a corny joke? I'm going to tell anyway. So anyway, uh, some of you have heard it, uh, but it, it reminds me of repentance. So uh, this church felt sorry for this guy. Uh, he's always had a hard time finding work. And so they hired him to, to paint this old country church for their family reunion. Now, most country churches have these big reunions. And so he was trying to skimp and save money. 
so he didn't buy enough paint. About halfway through, he realized, I'm not even close. So he started putting water in the paint. And he kept just slapping the paint on, slapping the paint on, and this huge storm rolled in. And there was this crack of lightning, and there was this bold voice, and it said, repaint and thin no more. <laughs> they liked it a lot better first service. But I want you, I want you to think about repentance. And I want you to think about what does repentance mean for you? What does it mean to miss the mark in Christ? What does it mean to draw close to him? And what does it mean to step back and say, God, I want you to take my heart through your word and through your spirit, and I'm willing to make changes. So my question is, as you approach God through his word and through prayer for change, do you look at this word of God as if it's just a history book? Now, there's a lot of history here, but it's so much more than a history book. Or do you approach God's word like a driver's ed manual? You know what I mean by that? Do you remember when you were getting your license? For some of you who didn't study at all, uh, like me, and, but when I got the driver's ed manual, I read that bad boy like crazy, and I highlighted it like crazy. Why? Because I wanted a car which meant I would get a date. You know, I, I, I wanted that desperately, so I would highlight it, memorize everything they told me to memorize because I needed something. And sometimes that's how we approach God's Word. Man, I just, I got to find what I need in an emergency, and then the emergency's over, and we just kind of set it aside. And God said, no, why don't you take this Word and every day start pouring through the Word and let His Spirit also join that effort, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to change. Every day, you'll become more like Jesus Christ because you're surrendering to that. That's where repentance starts. He also, John the Baptist, had the voice of humility. In John 3, verses 22 through 30, we read the power of John's life, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside for some time with them and had been baptized. Now John also was baptizing, and because he had plenty of water and people were being constantly coming and being baptized, John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, now that's Jesus, the one who testi you testified about, he's baptizing and now everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A man can receive only what has been given to him in heaven. Now look at verse 30. He must become greater, and I must become less. Let's say that together. He must become greater, and I must become less. What a characteristic of a leader. If somebody were to ask me, what's the number one characteristic of a leader? More than being a visionary or a risk taker or an administrator or being fair, is, is that individual a servant? I mean, do they have the heart that starts with, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And I want you to think about John the Baptist. At the very heart of his leadership was submission and serving others. John Piper said it very well. He said this about servant leadership. Servanthood does not nullify leadership. It defines it. 
Jesus does not cease to be a lion of Judah when he becomes the lamb like the servant of the church. Jesus didn't lose power because he was a servant. He actually demonstrated his power by serving. And we see that same attitude with John the Baptist. Now I want you to think about as he approached Jesus to be baptized, how he showed he was a servant. He could have easily had this conversation as Jesus approached. Jesus, before you're baptized, I hope you know what I've sacrificed for you. I mean, seriously, look, I've given up everything. I mean, I'm living out here in the wilderness. I mean, look at the way I'm dressed. Seriously, I can't get a date. And I've given this all up for you. I hope you appreciate what I've done. What did he do? No, he was so submissive to Jesus, like, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Or his attitude could have been, no, Jesus, I, I know the plan was I'm preparing the way for you, but do you have any idea how many people are coming out to hear me? I mean, do you think maybe, I don't know, can we co-lead this? No, not at all. He knew from the very moment he saw Jesus, you will become greater and I will become less. And that's what I love about a leader who leads by serving others. When you love, and I don't want to get political, when you love it, if there was a presidential debate and the answer would be, well, that's a great question, but the answer is, I just want to serve. It's not about me. Are you, we're never going to hear that. But Jesus said, serve. Are we willing to serve? And the impact of serving. A few years ago, our men... Uh, at Sherwood Oaks, uh, we had a, a foot washing service. We had a time of uh, fasting and prayer. We had a foot washing service. And uh, uh, this one particular evening, it has stuck with me for years. But uh, Brad Pontius, and uh, if you don't know Brad, Brad is the missions minister at Sherwood Oaks. Brad has such a tender heart and just to love others all over the world. And on this particular evening, uh, he was washing the feet of a, a gentleman by the name of Tom Clark, who's a deacon. At Sherwood Oaks. And so Tom is sitting there, and Brad's getting ready to wash his feet. And Brad looks up right into his eyes. I'll never forget this. And he said, Tom, it's an honor to wash your feet tonight because of the way you cared for my mother-in-law. He goes, you're, you're the deacon who took care of her because of her needs as a widow. And he said, we can't thank you enough. And when she died, and the morning we drove to her home, you were there first. And so I want you to know as I wash your feet, I wash your feet because I love you and because of how you served my family. Now that's a leader. It's a leader that serves. It's a leader that realizes that there are others that have served you. And the power and the impact of that, that's John the Baptist. He led because he served. But then last of all, he had the voice of courage. In Mark 6, we read this just terrible story of how John the Baptist uh, lost his life. Uh, some key characters that you need to know. The first is Herod, and it was Herod Antipas. And here's what we know about him. He was evil, he was ruthless, and he was intrigued by the message of John the Baptist. I mean, he actually went to hear John speak. Uh, we know that even in prison, that he would go down to visit John to hear what John had to say, he knew good and well that he was speaking the truth, but he was not about to change. 
And he was fine to listen from the distance until John got personal. Did anybody remember what his message was about repentance? Well, he used Herod as a personal example. He said, you need to repent like Herod. Do you know Herod is now sleeping with his brother's wife? Well, that's a, that's a crowd pleaser, you know what I mean? That's a, good, that's a good crowd breaker right there. I mean, everybody's like, whoa. And he just called out Herod by name. He just called out the woman by name. Well, they put him in prison. Now, I honestly think Herod had no intentions of killing John the Baptist. I really think he was thinking, let's just silence this guy for a while. I mean, let's let this thing die down, and then slowly we'll put him in another region, but that's all we need to do. But that is not what his new wife, Herodias, wanted. She didn't want that at all. And so they have this huge party, and as they're having this party, and they have all the leaders from the region, uh, Herodias, and this is, shows you the heart condition, she has her own daughter dance in front of all these people. Her name is Salome. And then and I think Herod was drunk as a skunk. I really do. And I think he said, hey, whatever you want, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Now, he's thinking, she probably wants an iPhone. You know, I, she, but what does she want? I want the head of John the Baptist. And you know what he's got to do? He's got to honor that ridiculous request or be humiliated. Now, a servant leader would say, well, I'm going to take the humiliation. No, I'm not going to do that. But he's like, okay. And so John's head is basically put on a platter and brought to the people. And you'd say, that just doesn't seem fair. Well, this shows you the courage of John the Baptist. He isn't going to back down on his faith in Jesus Christ to the end. There is no way. Uh, Bob Russell, who was the minister at Southeast for years, uh, was an amazing communicator. And he said, when he reads this story, he said, it's a good thing I'm not God, because if I was God, I would have rewritten the story. I would have had them brought the head of John the Baptist, open up the tray. I'd have his eyes go look around and go, repent. And they would all just drop dead. I like that story. It's good. It's catchy. Now, all of us would like that. Why? Because that's a get-even moment. That's not how God works. And you may step back and say, boy, what a terrible way to die. Was that a waste of life? Absolutely not. He courageously stood for Christ to the end, even in a culture that was so wicked. Jeremiah 6.15 said, Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. That's how bad it had gotten. It had gotten so bad that there was no shame. But yet, John the Baptist was the light. He was the voice. And we need to be the voice. What are you willing to die for? I really want you to think about that. What are you willing to die for? Now let me get even more personal than that. Who would you be willing to die for. Uh, there's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's just one story after another from the time that Christ died to the beginning of the 19th century. It's all these stories of martyrs who have given their life for the sake of Jesus Christ. And there was one martyr that I want to share with you, and his name was Polycarp. Now, why his life and his story is so intriguing is he was the last recorded follower of one of the original disciples. 
So John, as you know, was thrown on an island, lived to be probably 90 years old. But John discipled Polycarp. Polycarp, at the age of 86, uh, finally the Romans found him. He was serving underground, discipling countless people underground and drawing people to Jesus Christ. And they captured him. They took him to a mock trial. Does that sound familiar? He was, uh, at that point, sentenced to be executed. So they take him into a Roman arena to be executed. Now, I want to share with you his last conversation on this earth. 86 years old, standing in an arena, and this was the first question. Polycarp, will you deny Jesus Christ? And if you will, I have the power to set you free. Polycarp's response, I have served him for 86 years. He has done me no wrong. How could I ever blaspheme my Savior? The executor said, I have animals here. Repent. Polycarp said, I will not repent for what is good. And then he said, I will have you burned at the stake. Polycarp said, do whatever you want. Now, this is where it just blows me away. Polycarp said, I have one request. Leave me as I am, for he gives me strength to endure the fire. I will not struggle. And then he lifted his eyes to God, and he thanked him for allowing him to share in the suffering of Jesus Christ. So I want you to hear what happened to Polycarp. When he said he wouldn't deny Jesus, they gathered the wood. They put it all around him, and behind him was a stake. And the tradition was they would literally put their hands behind him, and they would nail their hands behind that stake, and then they would light him on fire. Polycarp said, don't tie my hands. You just set it on fire, and I will not utter a word of suffering or pain. And they lit the fire, and Polycarp didn't utter a word. And finally, they took out spears to kill him because he was humiliating the Roman guards because they were trying to punish him, and they wanted him to scream in agony, and he wasn't going to whisper a word. Why? Because he was going to die for Jesus Christ. See, he decided from the moment he gave his life to Christ, I'm willing to die for Jesus. So let me ask you one more time. What is it you're willing to die for? Who are you willing to die for? Because if it's Jesus Christ, the big question isn't what are you willing to die for as far as Jesus is, are you willing to live for Jesus? Every day to say, Lord, it's yours today. Every day I am yours. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to have the very same attitudes as John the Baptist, that I'm going to speak the truth but it's going to be in love. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to serve others humbly, and I'm going to live courageously because that's what you've called me to do. Well, how about you this morning? I mean, where, where are you seriously in your walk? I mean, are you just kind of wavering? You're trying to figure God out? Or is this real? Is Jesus Christ real? Because here's the deal. I doubt very many of us are ever going to be in a situation where somebody literally is going to take our lives if we don't deny Jesus.
But every day we have the opportunity to be Jesus everywhere we're at and to think of the impact that we could have. In just a moment, I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then I want us to begin to prepare our hearts for communion. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in these next few moments, and at your table, we just want to sacrifice our thoughts and give those thoughts to you, our direction to you, and we just want to thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, we thank you for the men and the women whose voices over the years have had such a, an impact in our lives. Lord, help us to be humble and help us to have a willingness to sacrifice because of what you sacrificed for us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.